Robert at Mentors from Military, and I'm joined by my sidekick, Paul Martinez. Hey, everybody. And we're coming at you live from 15 Perry Street, and thanks these uh, thanks to these guys for allowing us to come in here and uh, record the podcast. I'm joined today, or we're joined today, by three guests, Tom, Bo, and Dan, who um, came, let's see, all the way from North Carolina, right? Most of, well, two of you. Yeah. I came from Omaha, Nebraska. That's right. Yeah. I really came down. <laughs> and the worst part Hard. of this is that you brought me to the regional satellite office for my work. So I'm in the conference room right now that I have to work in, and this is how much I love you guys. <laughs> That's a weird coincidence. It really, he, he said, like, we're going to 15 Perry. I'm like, in Noonan? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, the white brick conference room. He's like, yeah, how'd you know that? I'm like, because I work out of that like once every two months. <laughs> it, it's a great facility. It is. Uh, the, the people are really good to us. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't turn it down. It's a great place. And if we could uh, convert this thing and they let us do it, I actually asked him to, we have a, a new sign and stuff. And so I asked him if I could hang it. I said, yeah, don't push it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be great if we could do it so maybe what we're going to start doing is give you guys a little bit of a chance to do an intro say your name something like that just so that people get used to your voice and then we'll start rolling well since i was talking already that my name is tom amenta um i was a member of the 75th ranger regiment for a while uh two combat tours to afghanistan 2002 2004 uh got my degree in political science then i was one of the founders of the military lifestyle apparel company ranger up did that for a while, did Range 15, the all uh, veteran produced movie. From there, started working in safety and security and sales and marketing. Um, then Dan and I actually served in the National Guard, who you'll hear from here in a second. And so about a, about a year ago now at this point, hmm. he uh, told me he had this great idea for a piece of veteran content. And my first thought was, oh great, here we go again, because I, uh, have sort of this godfather crusher of hopes and dreams for things like that. But after about five minutes, I got super, super excited. And that led me to work with him and Bo on our book, The 20 Year War. Awesome. And uh, I'm Dan. I also served in the 75th Range Regiment. Uh, however, I deployed multiple, multiple times. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. <laughs> no, I, I deployed uh, six times, uh, three times to uh, Iraq and then three times to Afghanistan from 06 to 2012 and then uh, moved to North Carolina, um, went to school at Appalachian State University, got a few degrees while I was there, started up a, a few degrees. Yeah. Like six. <laughs> <laughs> I got three degrees while I was there. Um, and uh, started up a, a solar car racing team that's been very successful uh, internationally, racing against cars and other teams from around solar the world. Solar car? I have, why yeah. have not not heard of this? Yeah, it's, 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 it's very cool. I'll show you some photos. It's, okay. It's pretty awesome. Um, they actually just raced this summer, and I'm incredibly proud of them. They placed first place. And yeah, Wow. Yeah. So, um, But did that, got an incredible opportunity to get a job in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, and then decided last year to start this company, United Valor, and uh, first project is this book, The 20-Year War, and uh, yeah, the rest is our, well, it's a very short history, but the rest <laughs> is history. Yeah, there's not much, and I'm Bo, but basically I moved my life from California last year to uh, North Carolina to be closer to Dan since we grew up since we were, I was five, he was six years old, so we were childhood friends. And uh, basically I was doing full-time fashion photography for about 12 years from LA to New York City and uh, just got really burned out on it and wanted to 
find a way to give back and to veterans and also work on projects that were much more meaningful to help people. So I was already working on a, basically a photo art series for an organization called Heroes and Horses that's based in Montana. Yeah. Yep. And, um, was working uh, with the, their owner on that. And when I came to North Carolina, I was telling Dan about it and I was on Fox News. And then um, I think we just started talking about, well, what can we do next? And that's where the idea of the 20 year war came up. That's mm -hmm. just so cool. Now, so you're familiar with that organization? The Heroes and Horses? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul's bit. really big into like the I like horses, you know, yeah. equine Same. side yeah. of things, especially yeah. you know the yeah. veteran. Have you uh, you've ridden with those guys up there? Um, no, I haven't ridden with them. So I've I used to work on a lot of outfits that were in like Northern California, okay. Texas, Arizona, Colorado. Um, my family owns some horse ranches up in Montana, but I've been wanting to go up there and meet up with them and, yeah. and possibly do that 300 mile journey with them. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd yeah. be really really cool. Yeah. yeah. The fact that you guys are doing this as a way to give back is what's nice because I mean that's the same reason why we get in it. We talked about it on mm -hmm. the phone and you know, there's a number of reasons why people cr uh, create podcasts or, you know, write a book or sometimes, uh, you know, other things and stuff. But, um, you know, when you do it and you're giving it back and it's really your passion and a way of trying to share other people's stories, either through the written format or through audio, it, and you're doing it for the sole purpose of really trying to help those who are, are listening or reading your material. It just, it's, to me, it's really powerful. You yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's a big message there. Um, we had a guest yesterday, um, Jeff, who wrote a book and it wasn't like, you know, he mentioned afterwards, he's like, I'm not going out there to write this book to make a lot of money. Cause mm -hmm. first off, you don't make a lot of money writing no, a book. No. And, um, but he says, you know, it's more of just the message and I'm hoping that it helps somebody out there. And then, you know, from that, whatever comes of that organically is great, but you know. Yeah. Well, that's where Dan really sold me to, to come in on this is he was like, you know, World War II veterans, Korean War veterans, Vietnam veterans, they didn't tell their story until the end. And right now, less than 1% of the American population, according to the Veteran Affairs Administration, has served in the GWAT for 20 years. And these stories, we can't let them not only get lost, we can't let them get buried um, mm -hmm. and we need to tell the authentic story. We, these, these narratives of either were superheroes that throw pitches out at ball games or were broken from PTS, you know, or were just vet bros with, you know, snowflakey personalities. Like, no, 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 we've got to actually tell the authentic story of who veterans are. And especially with Bo being such an amazing photographer and being able to capture what these men and women look like right now is so powerful. And it was mm -hmm. why the book being a huge, huge coffee table book um, to the point where the, I actually finally saw it like right when we sat down and gave it, literally just gave the book a hug. I wish I was not that geeky, <laughs> but I did it and I'm going to own it because I, because there's a picture, but um, you know, that was, it, it's, it's so powerful and it's just a great, like you said, melding of those mediums to say, this is the story and this is actually who we are. And that that's a message I think that the world with no exaggeration, especially this going on now, the world needs to see right now. What I mean, even like time and stuff, I don't think that they really did these types of things for many, many, many years after wars. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Vietnam, it was mainly, mainly because of, you know, 
how it happened, how the country felt about Vietnam, that we shouldn't be there, and, you know, the media and how they were presenting it. So, of course, no veteran wanted to stand up and say, hey, I was a Vietnam veteran in a way in which they could be targeted or whatever. In, in World War II, it was a bit of the silent generation, and they wanted to also keep very quiet and personal um, for just reasons of combat, you know, and they didn't want to talk about it in all circles very small circles they would so the the fact that you guys are getting ahead of that Mm -hmm. and and like putting you know allowing people it's they've got to even like in this type of setting they've got to be very vulnerable yes and and in this here it's the same it's just a different platform but they've got to be um you know in the book very vulnerable well to tom's point like you're saying like I know I experienced to where I didn't want to share my story. I didn't want to necessarily get it out there. Like I wasn't telling anybody about anything that I experienced. And I know there's numerous, countless veterans. I mean, probably a a vast majority who don't want to tell their story, but it's incredibly important, not from only a historical perspective, just to get, you know, make sure the, you know, the, the things that were experienced on the ground are told from a first person perspective, not a high level, you know, this is what mm-hmm. happened and why units were moved from this place to the other, but like, what was the experience like on the ground? We need to tell the stories now. Yeah. But then the other piece of this is, um, there are too many veterans who don't want to share their story. And then mm-hmm. everything that's going on, and I, I hate this to be the, the thing that's talked about all the time, but PTS and, and, you know, suicide rates and all that kind of stuff. I really think it's because people are, are staying to themselves. They're not getting out there. They're not, they're not talking to each other. They're staying disconnected. And so having that open platform and that open dialogue, not just with fellow veterans, but also, you know, civilians as well. And mm-hmm. just say, Hey, yeah. here's my story. Here's how you connect, you know, with the veteran community. And that's kind of the, the conduit. That's why we, we created this book to really open that dialogue and say, if you want to learn and experience what it's like to be a veteran, especially over the last 20 years, read these stories, hear from these men and women who have served. And so that you can really understand and get the gravity of what 20 years of war means, but not just from the combat perspective, what people have done in transition and who they've become and why, you know, veterans, honestly, in in my perspective, and I think a lot of veterans perspective and a lot of people who probably don't realize they're talking to veterans, they end up being incredible leaders in their businesses, Mm -hmm. their communities, their families. Some may never know. They just never know. And that's also the incredible part about the photos, because if you were to put all their photos on the wall and not know any context behind the book, you just saw the photos. You would think we were just taking photos of everyday Americans. Mm-hmm. Yep. You wouldn't know we were taking photos of veterans. Well, in one of the points that we've been talking about with sort of the past meeting the present, less than 1% of the American population served in the past 20 years. When you look at the numbers of eligible males, I know I'm shifting statistics a little bit here, but when you look at the number of eligible males for World War II, it was roughly anywhere between 20 to 22% of the population, depending on how they looked at it and how they defined eligible. That left these groups, you know, even if there was like only, you know, Bill and John were in one town and then the next town over there was, you know, there was Frank and, you know, Buddy, they still were able to get together. There was still enough of sort of a of a grouping, you know, you saw that in Korea too, especially because World War II and Korea ran into each other so much. Um, you know, in Vietnam, you still had a lot of that, and you know, people really having that. Our generation of veteran is—it's such a tiny population. It's so hard for us even to just get together. And that's, you know, when people ask, well, why is the VFW or the American Legion, 
you know, having issues. It's just, I think it's a, a question of scale, which breaks my heart and I think is unfortunate. But that's the other reason where, um, you know, when I, when I talk to veterans and, you know, I'm mentoring them as small, you know, want to be small business or whatever, and they express frustration, I'm like, listen, you are one of the smallest minorities in the yeah. United States. It's on you to explain to people who you mm -hmm. are, not the other way around. And yeah, that sucks. And I'm actually sorry that that's how it has to be, but you have got to be able to step up and say, I'm adaptable, I'm intelligent, I'm capable, I'm hardworking, and I work well in a team. And that's what you're getting from me, not these stereotypes and not these yeah. these things that you've been seeing over the past 20 years. I I like this whole concept of your book so much for that exact reason. It's like we're creating this body of work with all these veteran authors and mm -hmm. content producers and things like that yep. because uh, the stories do need to be told. I mean, how hard were some of our World War II veterans' lives or Vietnam veterans' lives just awful yeah. hard because yep. of what they were dealing with, you know, whether it's mental or moral injury or whatever that is, but also because people didn't know who the heck they were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you... If a guy from Easy Company walked into your office in 1975 and you didn't know who he was, you're like, no, Army's just some guy. But like right. now, he's a god. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. like those guys are their heroes mm -hmm. and the things that they did were, you know, amazing. And I think that you guys nailed it when you said like these stories need to be told now, yeah. so they don't get lost. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just so so important. Back in the day, too, though, World War II veterans, because of the size, the sheer size of that war, and how many Americans actually went and fought into it, the VFWs were, like you said, an opportunity where people from, you know, many different mm -hmm. neighborhoods and cities and towns and stuff that were nearby, within say a fifty-mile radius or further, would come and congregate in yeah. a room where they could then share their stories and feel like this is one place safe haven where I can, you know, be me. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, today, like you said, you start thinking about this war, the size of it, the number of people who actually served and then served in GWAT, that starts getting smaller and smaller. And that is part of the struggle, I think, is that people end up going and many of them want to check out and they want to get off the grid mm -hmm. and they go to locations where they're definitely not surrounded by anybody. Right. I think the, uh, the interesting thing about our book, The 20-Year War, is I didn't think about it in the beginning, but it almost in a way is a history book. And it's, it's kind of unique because imagine you move into a house and you find this book in the house, like talking 40, 50 years from now. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're like, what is this? And you open it up and you start seeing all these portraits of veterans, you start reading the stories. It's almost like, oh, this is a piece of history that we are documenting. It is. Yeah. 100%. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad again to the point we're doing it now. I mean, 20 years of combat already is way too long. Like yeah. that's, that's such a, a long duration to, if we waited, you know, realistically, if the, if the, if, um, if the global war on terror would have ended in three years, we would be 17 years after it ended. And then this would be about the time that people would start writing books. Mm-hmm but we've been going for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And if we don't start capturing them now, we're already going to miss the first several years of combat of the global war on terror. So um, that's the other part I'm, I'm really proud about this book is we captured veterans, not just from the last couple of years, we have the full scale. Yeah. We have people who were at the Pentagon with Sergeant Major of the Army, Jack Tilly during nine 11. Then we have people who just got back in December 2020. Like we have That's the entirety cool. of the global war on terror from very beginning 
to the latest we could get somebody in the book. Which, just because we're both rocking it, Robert, um, <laughs> Phil Sussman from Live American Yogi, we're both we're both rocking yeah, we're his on. apparel right now. Um, and he was the final veteran, so he's the second to last person. Oh, in the that's book. awesome! Um, because he had gotten back in December, and I'm like, I, I his story for me was just wild to type because I was thinking about the fact that in the you know in military parlance like from nine you know from December 2020 is within nine months of if you wanted to drop your retirement packet that's when you do it is so you can start preparing to get out and I'm thinking I'm like I was pre 9-11 I, I went in to get college money and get some adventure and grow yeah. up because I was a punk that was me right yeah 1999 is when I was when I enlisted and I'm like dude like he's getting back right when if you're like my 20 years is an e89 i'm i'm bouncing you know as an infantry guy it blew my mind and then he's telling me you know like we we got done and then i followed up with him and he's telling us about some of the you know the mission stuff and everything like that and it's just like it's changed it's evolved but the meat and potatoes of it the core of it is still Mm -hmm. the same and that is just wild to me yeah the stories these guys have and the fact that you're capturing them is so cool because like, you know, in the case of Phil, since we're talking about him, mm-hmm. it, not only does he have his own story and how he ended up coming in from the very beginning, but his brother then also having the story of being there and helping clean up 9-11. And mm-hmm. it's just like there's so many different layers and stuff. And I love that you guys have captured the full entity there. And you, and you do have to start capturing that very beginning now mm-hmm. because it's already, like you said, 17, 20 years ago and yeah. guys are not going to remember the, the specifics yeah. and the detail and they're going to share bits and fragments that may be very difficult then to kind of put together so I'm curious when you sat down and talk with them um, how did you like approach the idea of like dude you're going to have to be you're going to have to put yourself out there you got to be vulnerable but we need to share that story what what I'll let Bo talk about his experience but because um, he was the one who talked to vast majority and took the photos but when we were structuring the questions of how we were going to ask and and you know kind of do this interview with each of them um i didn't want to focus so much on the combat stories Mm, um and that was on purpose that there was a reason behind that and that was largely because this is to inspire people to share their story this is to inspire people to to make sure that they do talk about combat a little bit but I do think there's a certain level of veteran that needs to acknowledge the transition and mm-hmm. acknowledge their re-entry into the civilian workforce. And that's the inspiration that I hope the veterans get from it. And then the civilians that read it hopefully dispel all their typical narratives and things that they think a veteran is. And they see really you know, who, who a veteran has become, especially in the last 20 years or after 20 years of combat. Um, so we structured the, the questions that way, but we absolutely, you know, was very to the point. I mean, we were, we were pretty quick and what was great about it is every time we talked to somebody ahead of time, you know, tell them, Hey, this is the project we're doing. This is what we're trying to do. They loved it. They were yeah. like, I love that you're focusing on the transition and you're talking about, you know, what we're doing now and right. not so much about our combat because ultimately it, it is still a hard subject for a lot of combat veterans who have seen a lot. Yeah. And so to dive deep, deep, deep into that was not our intent. Um, but we're hoping again, this inspires people to be able to do that. Yeah. And just cause I want to like give Bo all the time in the world on the floor to talk about the process because he was the one that really drove it. I just want to add to dad's point is that one of the things that we really 
feel passionate about and I think that the veteran community needs to embrace is that our service was a chapter in our life. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the unit you get there, you know, you've just got you've just gotten to the most you know, prestigious unit in the world, arguably. And the first thing they start telling you from the moment you walk through the doors, don't ever forget the tribe moves on. Mm-hmm. Like you will leave this place at some point. And yes, mm-hmm. you need to do your absolute best. And yes, you need to be the most responsible member of this tribe and of this community that you can be, but the tribe moves on at the end of the day, as important as our service was to us, as important a, a mission truly and a job that we had being in the military, it was still a job. That was ba- that we were bound to do by a contract, the most bulletproof employment contract in the world. I mean, they literally teach L ones in law school. Yeah. This is how you write a contract because you can't get out of it, right? Right. right. Um, that's that's what we did, and all of the emotion and all of the personal and all the reasons that we embraced that tribe and why we wanted to do it. It is still at the core of job, and you're going to do another job. You are going to find another thing, and I really think that that was that's one of the strengths of how we set it up because it's who are you and what inspired you to serve a brief sketch of your service so people have context what your transition was like and then what are you doing now mm-hmm. because that's how at least in my in my mind and why I think the true power here and why I was so excited when Dan was explaining it to me is that that's who you get to see it's like you, you you've chose the society has chosen to embrace us for this job that we did and embrace us for, for defending this nation and stepping up in the past 20 years. But we're still doing it. We're just not doing it with a gun in our hands. We're doing it as a business leader. We're doing it as, um, you know, someone who's involved in the community, who's giving back. We're doing it in 71 different unique ways with 71 different routes into the military and out of it that you're going to see in the, that you're going to see in the book. And those are the stories that we collected. There's tens of thousands. There's literally millions of those stories floating around mm-hmm. the United States right now. And the goal is, is to show and to capture that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, to kind of wrap up what you guys are saying, I mean, you guys nailed it. But basically, when I was traveling the country, I drove across uh, 42 states. Uh, it was a little over 16,000 miles in about two months. Oh my God. But I crossed the country, I think, four times total and interviewed 71 veterans. But I noticed that it was kind of crazy traveling and meeting up with them, but we did have a lot of structure with the questions. So that's what kind of helped each interview flow naturally. And it wasn't so much like a, a pressured, like, Oh, I got to think of a random question to ask you. It was very structured. I, I basically showed them the questions before we met. So they kind of had an idea of what they were being prepared so they could for. Process it. Exactly. Yeah. And like Dan and Tom said, like nothing was very super deep or uncomfortable. It was more like, how many deployments did you do? Where were you at? What missions were you a part of? Okay. Now let's talk about now. Like, and that was the majority of it. And then when I was capturing their photos, you know, some people are a little more photogenic than others. Um, me being a photographer, I hate having my photo taken. I'm just one of those people yeah. that doesn't like it. And, uh, but everyone did really good because I would try and capture them off guard. Like I'd maybe position them in a certain area or we'd sit down in their home or in their workplace or outdoors. And I would either capture them kind of doing something. So they weren't just standing there with their hands in their pockets or it was, more just kind of the moment. I mean, we have a couple portraits of people that didn't even know I was taking photos of them at the time. And those were like the best ones ones that came out. Well, and to, to Bo's point, I mean, he shoots on medium format film. So it's a, it's a few shots and that's it. Yeah. You got to really capture that moment. And the fact that he's, I mean, you'll see through the book and you would think, you know, he's shooting off a hundred shots right? and one, and just like one blast or something to capture that moment. No, this is film. So, I mean, (laughs) 
I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll bust, I'll bust his balls a little bit because there was a uh, one day that we went to somebody's house and I'm not going to say who at all, but he had three shots in his camera. Oh left. yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's it. it. I had no film. And we had to get three shots and I was like, Bo, what are we going to do? Is there a film store nearby just in case we don't get it? And he was like, no man, I'll get it. Don't worry. And I'm like, <laughs> Like, man, I don't know what to say right now, because if we don't get this in these three shots, we're kind of screwed. And this is a guy who has a big name. Um, <laughs> yeah. like, we're not going to say who, because no. I don't even want him to know. I, I haven't heard the story because it would have sent me to the moon. So yeah. please don't. <laughs> don't. Well, the, the, the fun thing about that, though, is I knew in my head, I didn't want to tell Dan, but I looked at my camera and it was like, so on medium format for people listening, uh, you have 10 shots per roll of film. It's uh, very, it's back from the 60s and 70s era, but I enjoy it because it allows me to be much more like thoughtful about each shot. And I take more time in figuring out where I want to put people or the, uh, the subject. So I saw that I had three shots left and we were just getting in the car and I was like, now nah, we'll be good, I'll be fine. And I literally, like took one shot of each person, position them, and sure enough, the film came back fine. But yeah, right. No, so I'm, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this. I've been doing it for ten years. I feel a little confident. Right. I, I know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this because I have people around, and that's gonna put a little pressure on you. Were you really that confident, or was this just you just living up to the special ops mantra of "eff it, we'll do it live"? <laughs> Both. <laughs> if I'm, if I'm, if, yeah, fair enough. If I'm answering honestly, there's always, I can never be too egotistical and being like, oh, I've done this for 10 years. Nothing's going to come out bad. Cause I've had roles of film come Dude, back. Mike Spinkter would have been like, so oh, no. you know what I mean? Well, well, the, the problem is too, is that sometimes the good thing is I trust my lab that I send my film to cause they always do a great job. Um, and they're based out of California and, I've been with them for 10 years and they've never messed up roles. But sometimes if you send film to certain labs, they can come out bad. And then you're like, well, you just fucked up a whole project. Like now I got to go out and reshoot it because yeah. it came yeah. out bad. Yeah. And the other thing is I'm thinking about this is the context for me personally, because this is the first time I've heard the story <laughs> is the lighting was awful in my apartment when he took my portrait. It was so bad. He, so he shot like six of me. Because he knew that he had to really, he wasn't exactly sure exactly how to do it. So I'm hearing this going, wait, wait a minute. You just rocked a one-to-one -one when you took six of me. Like, and, and to give you the conditions, they were not perfect. They were mm, not, the no. weather wasn't great. The lighting wasn't great. The area we were in was not great. And so I'm just like, I think Bo was okay. I'm sweating bullets because oh, I, I knew about imagine. this, and I was like, "Oh my god, if we don't get this, I like, mean, if the person's are eyes are do? closed, if they, I mean, any so many it. things, yeah, could, right. could have gone wrong." Well, usually it's kind of funny because if I position somebody there, I don't really count down for them. I just stand them there, and right when they look at me is when I shoot it because I know they're not going to blink that second. Usually, most people hold their eyes open for about four to five seconds before they have to blink. But, so I, I learned a, a few things from him. And that was one that I was like, dude, that's brilliant is yeah. to get somebody positioned and then uh, be like, all right, look here and then snap it right like basically right away. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, that's brilliant because yeah. you, you get the moment or you get a moment where people aren't preparing. They're not like trying to fake a smile or something mm -hmm. like that. You know what I mean? It's very much in the moment and then you don't get the blink or anything like that. I was like, dude, that's But think, think about when you take a family photo, the longer you're all standing there, yeah. the more awkward oh, you yeah. get yeah. 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 because you're yeah, like, uh, are, have you taken it yet? Are you done? So like the second you get it, the fastest, it just shows authenticity. So I, I went with Bo, Tom went also for a, a short duration, but we did a Northeast mm -hmm. trip 
And uh, the first time he was taking photos and he did that, I was, he was like, all right, I'm done. I'm like, that's it? And even every veteran every would veteran react that. that way too. Be like, wait, we're done? That's yeah. it? Yeah. And I, yeah. he's like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I would call each veteran and be like, I'm going to be here at this time at your house. We'll sit down, we'll do the interview, and then I'll take the photos like, you know, second. And uh, I think the interview took much more time. That would oh, take, yeah. The interview would be about 15 to 30 minutes. Sometimes I've had people that wanted to talk for an hour and give their story. And um, I, wa I wanted to allow as much time as possible for these people to share their story. I didn't want to cut them short. I wanted to like fully enjoy being present with them. But the photo aspect was like two minutes. It was like two to three minutes where I was like, okay, cool, I got it. And they're like, I hope you got it. Yeah. And then literally I would send them their photo after and they're like, oh shit, like you did get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've seen photographers do this and, and you know which ones are the better ones because the ones that, you know, we're talking about, okay, look this way. And then they, they're taking bursts and everything. But then you have those that just go, um, all right, you know, look natural, whatever. And they, they just take a couple shots and, and, and then that's like it. And they come out amazing yeah. because, again, they know, like you said, yeah. they know when to capture it, how to capture a specific look that they know is going to turn out right. And the lighting is a certain way. They already figured all that out. It's just that professional. I mean, how many years did you do this before leading up this? You said 10. 10. Right. Yeah, just a little over 10. So, I mean, 10 years of doing, you know, professional photography that's that's a lot of photo taking yeah i think i mean t in total it's been about 14 because i did digital for about four years and then i switched to film and did that for about 10. um but what's interesting is now that it's reprogrammed me like we might have a project coming up as a team that we're gonna be working on where i have to shoot digital and i'm like i really don't want to because i'm so used to film but i understand that these photos have to come out like super fast like we need to get them out that day that we're shooting the project mm -hmm. but even with me shooting digital i'm still going to be programmed to maybe shoot a few photos at a time rather than bursting like crazy what, what's um interesting about the book is that we we're talking about transition and we're talking about the stories post um combat and we don't focus a whole lot on that and we we don't always get into the transition aspects on this show but we we try not to focus on there i was necessarily it's mm -hmm. more about if if you can take a lessons learned from that great if there is something that you want to bring to the table because it, it then explains later why you may be wanting to talk about post-traumatic stress or tbi that's great but the challenge I think that we all have is that as much as we try to talk to our brothers and sisters who are currently serving of the importance that we're all going to transition, nobody wants to listen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, initially when we started this podcast, we, we very much focused because people said, oh, man, you, you got to focus a little bit more on transition. Mm. We did. And, and people weren't listening mm -hmm. because they feel like they've got it all figured out. Yeah. So what's great about this is now you're going to see veterans that maybe may share the story they didn't have it figured out, but they ended up finding a way, mm -hmm. even though it was a very bumpy ride. But yep. it should be a lessons learned. Yeah, I, I don't know. If, yeah, definitely. I don't want to say lessons. It's it's interesting because some people definitely do sort of share their lessons learned in the book, and some of them are just do this amazing job. Because um, Bo would capture the audio, and then it was my job to take these audio files and be sort of the first editor of just to clean it up to get it in just one into the story format and two. Um, make sure that you know you it had a had a flow to it, which you know as we're talking and you're hearing me mumble and blather on, you can you know understand that was in, in the audio a little bit. <laughs> um, and that at least for me, that's where I came in, and that's what was so 
hard for me. And there were times where there was a couple of files I immediately called Dan. I'm like, Hey, can we use this? Or, you know, is this person, are we sure this person's comfortable sharing how raw this is? Because I don't want to do someone dirty or, you know, they said something in a moment and then they, they they thought about it and they want to walk it back. And at, at every point they're like, no, go with it. No, go, go with, you know, um, you know, go with these really intimate personal details of my life. Like we trust you guys. And that was like, you know, just especially because one of the people that did it was Tim Kennedy and Tim's probably the biggest sort of veteran name that we have in the book. But Tim, I've known as a part of Ranger Up since 2008, he was literally in my wedding before. I mean, that went away the way of the dodo bird, but you know, he was still there and, and we're, we're still friends. I mean, I could lie about it, but like, well, she's, she's not in the picture anymore. <laughs> right? like, so it's, you know, I've, I've gotten used to having like, yeah, so he was there, but she's not anymore, but he's still there. You know, well, at least you still got Tim. Yeah. That's it's, important it's, part. it's true. And, and a couple of people have actually like, yeah. Oh, so is he like you? I'm like, no, I have Tim's wife is one of the sweetest, nicest, kindest people on earth until you, you know, do something untold and then ginger will let you know in a hurry. Um, I love that woman. She is the most amazing people on earth, but, uh, no, I'm definitely not, um, dating or married to Tim Kennedy. <laughs> it's a kind of a turn, but anyway, but Tim, like I literally 30 seconds into the audio, I called Dan. I'm like, can we use this? Like, these are the stories that, that we, that knew him for years, knew mm-hmm. of him. And we understood that that wasn't part of his public well, persona. It was because, very unfiltered. Yeah. It was, it was like, we didn't, cause we didn't want people to take it the wrong way or we didn't want people to judge him by that one sentence or five second sound bite. And he's like, nah, man, go with it. Be, I'm, I'm ready to tell my story. And he's also working on a book right now. And he's also definitely much older and, and more mature, but that is, you just, that fingerprint is all over this book to your point mm-hmm. of, um, we've learned like what we thought our transition was gonna be like and what it has become, you know, there's a lot of those that we've, I've learned. And I am also, not just solely tied to my identity as a veteran. You see a lot of that in the book. And there are a couple of people that are still struggling to, to find that balance. I think that's a pretty fair statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and we try and just capture the authenticity of the story, but you do get that gamut yeah. going through it. Well, I think to, to your point too, I, I wish, like, I wish a lot of people, I wish I would have read a book like this when I was still in, mm-hmm. when I knew I was transitioning. Yeah. And, um, I do hope a lot of active duty service members, even people in the guard or, you know, in reserves or whatever, mm-hmm. read this book because there's nobody you serve with who's transitioned 99.9999% of the time. There are a few fringe cases where somebody got out for a period of time and then came back in, but right. very fringe few cases. Um, so you don't know who to go to, to talk to like, Hey, what do I need to think about in my transition? And it was actually a really powerful thing that, um, one of the veterans in the book an incredible person, JC Glick, um, told us. Yeah. JC. Yeah. He, uh, he said, you know, there's, there's four pillars to transition, but one specifically that he called out that was kind of eye opening to me was, um, have a mentor, but have a civilian mentor, have somebody Hmm. that you can go to that can give you give it to you straight. That's a civilian. Um, because you're, you're not going to connect with them in the military aspect. You're going to try to, I think you'll, you'll learn a lot of things from each other, but you're stepping into something that's their world. You're transitioning out of your world of being in the military, wearing a uniform and stepping into a civilian world. Mm -hmm. So 
having that connection and somebody to go to to say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about applying for this job or I'm thinking about going to this school or I think I'm going to, you know, uh, write this contract or do this uh, business that I business idea and like start my own business and all those things. Like have a civilian mentor that can really be there for you to 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 filter out all the maybe bad ideas or or give you new ideas or things like that. Just somebody there that can really just give it to you straight. And I, I think that's so important. And a lot of veterans, I didn't do that. Oh, I, I was just getting ready to say too that this is this is interesting and it's a spin that I haven't heard that makes total sense because you're entering into a world like we just talked about that 99% of the people are not like you. Mm-hmm. And that's what you should do is assimilate in some way and who better to teach you and guide you. Yet what we tend to see though is more of the case of people looking for a mentor of a, vent, a veteran yep. who has gotten out and, and looking for people in this book that they can connect to and go, hey, yep. help me out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are organizations that that's all they do is set up and make, you know, veteran mentors. Yep. But I agree with you. I think um, there's a lot that you could take away by understanding the other side and them sharing the story of, you know, and I try to share the same thing to some people now that I've been out for a period of time. It's like, you know, that, that purple heart, that silver star, those things, you know, being put on the top of your resume is not really going to impress the hell out of that mm-hmm. civilian employer. No. They're going to thank you for your service, but where are you going to add the value? And it's that hard truth sometimes that somebody needs to say it. Well, I think, I think what's interesting too, is that, you know, we as humans need to be challenged. You know, we need to put ourselves in very vulnerable, uncomfortable situations. So I get where veterans look for other veterans after transition, but that's where, because it's comfortable. So when you actually force yourself to be uncomfortable and find those civilian counterparts that may seem ass backwards, mm-hmm. you're putting yourself in a position of growth and you're going to find it to be much easier, you know, going in that route than I think kind of sticking to a lot of your past and then trying to transition at the same time. Yeah. How was it for you? I could read the book, but I'm just curious, you know, you're, what's y'all <laughs> stories? Uh, you know, what's, what's interesting is, so I served two more years in the guard, but, um, when I was going to school, I definitely initially looked at my transition as like, that's, that's, it wasn't a chapter in my life. I looked at it as that was the ending of a book. Like that was it. It's going on a shelf. That's the end of it. I'm no longer affiliated with the military. I didn't wear camo. I didn't like wear military shirts. I didn't do anything. I was just like cold Turkey. I'm done. I didn't stay connected to a lot of my buddies. Like, um, so my transition sucked. It was bad. I mean, I tried doing things. I remember, you know, I became, I became, uh, I guess I became somebody that a lot of people went to in the university because I started up the solar card team and everything like that. And they saw me as like, wow, look at this really impressive veteran and things. But every time I would kind of dispel that and say, oh, no, you know, yeah, I'm a veteran, but that's not why, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took until last year, really, 2020. Wow. Maybe late 2019 I started thinking about it, but really 2020 for me to be like, that was a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> that clearly was not the way that you should transition. And why, why do you say that? What was um, some of the negative effect of that? You know, there, you don't know how to process something until you can talk about it. Okay. And you don't know how to, um, you don't know how to connect with people really in, in, a, in an authentic way until you can tell them everything about yourself. Okay. And so there's that, that ability to connect with people and an ability to, you know, give them advice and influence maybe some decisions or bad decisions that they're about to make by connecting with them on a whole different level. And I didn't do that. Like I, 
even though I was a leader of the solar vehicle team, even though I went to my new job, you know, and I was, I was a, basically a project manager, I would tell them to do things, but I would never relate it like, Hey, we need to do this because let me show you an example of when, when I failed in the military or when this literally had life or death like scenarios tied to it. Um, so I, f- I failed in that aspect and I know I did. And I don't want anybody else to, to go through that. I don't want anybody else to transition and feel like they shouldn't talk about it because they're afraid of, you know, somebody thinking they have PTSD or thinking that they're going to go off the rails or thinking that, you know, that um, they're not open to talk about their service. I want everybody to be able to talk about their service. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I went the complete opposite way. I So I got out, I mean, the complete opposite way. I got out in 2004 went to the University of Illinois in central in the central Illinois cornfields as a former army ranger and immediately started working in morning drive radio. So, um, and, and I, I did not do myself any favors in the fact that two weeks after I separated from the 75th Ranger Regiment, which was roughly six weeks after I got back from my second combat tour, I'm in a 8 a.m. economics class wearing a ranger t-shirt and somebody's like, I mean, I'm not even kidding. Cliche tie-dye kid. Like, well, that's kind of aggressive. And I'm like, of course it's aggressive. I'm going to, you know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, and then by, I made my DJ name Ranger because I was, I was struggling and I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to process any of it. I was by myself. Um, I was drinking my face off for most of college um, until, um, you know, towards the end. And I just decided that I was going to play into the stereotype and, when you do that and when you're also a little bit older than these kids around you and girls think it's amazing that you were just so brave for your country, right? Um, I, had a, I, had a, I had a good time in all of the wrong ways, if we're going to be honest about it, right? Um, the one healthy relationship I had through college, um, it started because she looked at me and she's like, listen, my dad always drove really nice cars in order to, so I wouldn't be impressed with the first boy who had a sports car and don't take this the wrong way, but you don't have a nine eleven turbo. And I was like, okay, like, you know, so, you know, it's, you know, and then from there, um, I probably could have done myself a little bit of a favor. I'd, I'd grown up just enough to realize that there was a veteran story to be tell, told and I wasn't quite doing it the right way. But then when we started Ranger Up, it, it was really meant to be like the goofy, funny side of the military. But what we fell into is I went from Ranger, my radio personality, who was a dick, to Tommy Batboy, who was the more funny, the like, let's be humorous, like serious when we need to be. But now we're trying to carry this banner in 2008 when we have all of these veterans finally really, truly at critical scale, right? Like you have Afghan vets, you have Iraq vets, you have all these people. And now some like me have gone through college and like, we're starting to sort of find our way in the world and we're looking for a voice. And so now we're on the leading edge of not only veteran lifestyle, but this whole influencer culture. It's to this day, I don't know if I am if I'm being as honest as I can be, I don't know if I'm super proud of, I guess it's a, it's a mix. I'm really proud of being able to say that I was one of the first veteran lifestyle influencers before that was even a term. And at the same time, I look back and I'm like, man, there are so many do-overs. There's so many mulligans I want on that <laughs> because you, you just don't know, especially when you're in the middle of it. And so you take that all the way to range 15, which is a project I am so incredibly proud of, but had so many unintended consequences, especially being released right before the 2016 election and just the way that um, 
the way that I'm sorry, I'm just going to punk them out the way the airsoft culture that never did the work to understand what it means to be a veteran and what it means to serve just co-opted all of that. That's really where you see that geometric scale of it. And so that I, I just got caught in that vortex for so long where it was like, I was always trying to promote something while I was trying to promote my show where I was trying to promote a t-shirt, whether I was trying, trying to promote a cause. And I mean, we lobbied, you know, we'd go to Senate committees for the first three or four years at Ranger up and lobby. Like I've got a, you know, one of my best stories ever is they forgot to turn the, the pulpit off the, the microphone. So we're in this set, this big Senate committee, like one of the big antechambers and everyone was talking at it or whatever. And then they'd like, like rolled in the, the tables with all the beer and, and the snacks and everything. And like for the mixer and I've got a picture right before I do this, uh, I grabbed a Bud Light just cause that was the beer. I put it down on, on the dais. I put my hands up there. I'm in my, I'm in a suit, you know, super whatever. And I just boom out my fellow Americans. And cause it's got the mic I mean, just, I used my, I used my big NCO voice because I didn't, yeah, boom. I swear on my combat scroll, John McCain and his senior aide is walking out of the room right as this is happening. And he comes, turns back and he goes, you got a good voice for that. Maybe you got a future. And he keeps walking. Now, like, now, I'm, now I'm mortified. Okay. The aide is like running up and is like bowling me over to like turn this microphone off and everything. I mean, these, these were things that we did. Like, and I'm, I'm super proud of that. Like that was, that was great. But it was like, I was always doing something. And so I left Ranger up. Um, and then within a year, my now ex-wife left me and all of these things that I thought that I valued and I thought that I had, that was really, I had a difficult transition the first two years of college just because I, I didn't quite know who I was. And then I really sort of bought into this persona driven lifestyle. And I was lucky that, um, I had, um, I had a little bit of money cause I had, I had sold my stake in Ranger up right around that time. And I was so shattered. I mean, shattered. I was, I didn't know up from down. I didn't know left from right. And I grabbed a 40 liter backpack. Actually, Dan has the exact one, the far point 40 liter Osprey. Um, I flew into Lisbon, Portugal and I said, I'm going all the way around the world. And about five months later, I flew back to the United States from Tokyo and I just backpacked and uh, staying in hostels and stuff. And it was one of those where, at least for me, it was that because in the military, especially uh, you're always in motion, right? Everything. So there was this level of movement that was comfortable and very familiar of like, you just keep going like, all right. And, and I had a mission, especially through Europe where I was blasted through like 21 countries and I don't know, two months, a little over two months, just that movement was comfortable. But at the same time, I was constantly with myself. So it's like, though I couldn't run for myself. I could go to any country I wanted to on a Euro pass. I could hop a plane and say, I'm going to be in place X but I had to deal with me. And that was, um, probably a super extreme way to sort of like refine myself and sort of get back to a place where I think I, you know, I can, I can write a book like this and, and tell those stories and feel like I'm doing it authentically. But I, I did, I spent 15 years for, you know, post service, just trying to live up to this persona and live up to these things that a lot of veterans try and do. And, and I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, uh, do the work to be authentic to whoever you are and whatever your truth is, because you do not want to have to wake up one day and look yourself in the mirror and say, I have no fucking idea who I am. As you stare back, it is a horrible, horrible experience. It's so interesting that you both have very different, like you said, very different ends and stuff. And I find myself relating to your story because mm -hmm. 
I got off of active duty and kind of cocked the rearview mirror behind me and said that was, like you said, there's a book. It's not just even a chapter. It's done. I, it, whatever it was in that life, I'm now starting over again and going to build something new. And yet it caught up with me. For me, it was like 13 years later. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting with um, at that time frame, and I've shared this on the podcast, a life coach who said, there's something missing and you need to go scratch that itch. You need to get back to it. And that's where this podcast started mm-hmm. is, is my way of getting back involved. And so we, you were running in different ways. You were running and gunning to get away from it, but living in the lifestyle yeah. hard, you're running away from it in a way thinking that it's something that you can leave behind, but you both again came to the same point at one point. Yeah. What's, you know, uh, now that I've come full circle and I've, I've really looked back and, and thought about this hard is, uh, you know, I've looked at it now. It's, it wasn't a book. And if he, even if it was a book, it's a volume, you know, I, I closed that chapter. I closed that book, but it's not on the shelf anymore. I've pulled it off the shelf. It's something I look at and I reflect on. And it's something that, um, you know, I, I hope every veteran does. And, and to Tom's point about like what's going on right now in the veteran culture, this is a huge reason why I wanted to write this book too, because the veteran lifestyle, the veteran influencer, the, the people that are out on front street that have the loudest voice out there right now is not the vast majority of veterans. The vast majority of veterans move on to do incredible things in their businesses, in their companies, or in their communities, in their families, in their churches, in their schools, you know, they, they go mm-hmm. on to be these incredible leaders and just people. Yeah. But when people are only seeing one side of it or only seeing one aspect of it, you either have veterans who try and aspire to be that. Yeah. Or you have veterans who are like, I don't want any part of that. And they completely try and move away from it. But instead, it should be a spectrum and it should say, here are 71 people you can look to. They all had completely different journeys, completely Mm -hmm. different paths to get to where they are. They have a shared experience when they wore the uniform, but that's it. Everybody is just a human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have a different human experience. Just being a veteran and being in the military is a part of that. And most of these people in the book, they found a way to help others. And it's kind of interesting hearing what you said that you guys had two different, you know, experiences with transition, but you still came to this point. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. about my personal career in photography. I cold turkeyed and gave up fashion, which was my career, and like just gave up on it, but still came back to photography in some capacity. So there's things that I feel like when you stop doing things for yourself and you start doing things for others is where you find success. Well, it's, mm. it's the commitment to serve, I think is the yeah. biggest thing. Yeah. That's, that's what unites us all for that, sure. Yeah. And that's yeah. what, that's what that life coach who was also a therapist, mm-hmm. you know, pointed out mm-hmm. is that that's the thing that's missing. And, and we find that common theme. And I was going to ask you, Bo, as you started going through and asking all the questions and everything, did you guys start seeing a common thread? What was the common threads that you found? I mean, we just found a common thread that 
we all exited in a very different way, but finally arrived at the same destination. Mm-hmm. What was the common thread, or was there one that you saw through the 71 that you talked to? You know, when I went into this, because I didn't know the vet space very well, and uh, I still don't Which know Which is probably it too almost well. better, because you're yeah. coming at it, it from a disinterested, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't know I was outside of the spectrum. So I was going in thinking that all these stories were somehow going to be, you like, not so much unique. There was going to be similarities with each story. Mm-hmm. And every single person that I interviewed had such a different story. And it really put me down this path in understanding that these are just human beings too. And they have their own lives and their own thoughts. Just because they were all in the military doesn't mean they're alike from one another. But the only thing that I would say that was pretty consistent across the board is most of them all had uh, rough transitions. Yeah, I was about to say the exact same thing. They all struggle with their transition. And that's the one thing I took away from it was that's the only thing I kept hearing over and over. So if that's the main issue that's going on, if they're helping people, they're happy with where their life has taken them, but they had a shitty transition, that's the aspect that we need to focus on. So when we say transition, are you saying just the first 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? What was it? No. no. Right. So I think that, that goes on as long as it Yeah. Takes, well, real right? quick, to, yeah. Give, to give an example, I mean, I've had people that had a transition within a month and then they found a successful job and they were fine. I've had a person that took 12 years. So there's no rhyme or reason or time frame. I think it's a mental state and it's putting yourself forward out there. I just, I mean, we're talking about our book, but one of the places that I've gotten in my life for this is that when people are asking me about it, I'm like, listen, I want you to take the time in a, in a you can do this in a day, maybe a day and a half because they're easy and read two books for me. One is Sebastian Younger's Tribe because I think he does a wonderful job of dispelling the myth and the narrative that it's all PTS, right? He, I mean, is using his own experience as a war correspondent and things like that. I think that he does a great job with that. The, and then he talks about how important the cultural identity of being in the military and being part of such a small, tight-knit group and giving yourself the grace to say, it hurts that I'm no longer with my people and I am frustrated that I need to find a new group of people in order to move on because as much as I said earlier that hey you've got to remember that this is a job this is a job that you live 24 7 365 and a job that can literally get you killed in about some of the most horrible ways possible on earth it's it it is a job but it's not just a job if if that makes any sense no it does I, I think some of the challenges that that we also probably see and when we talk about post-traumatic stress is about um what is normal? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's same thing is for when it, somebody's trying to go and change their lifestyle, whether mm-hmm. it's you know a new job, moving to a different city, or whatever. It's about understanding it, what is the new normal. Mm-hmm. It's yep. a different environment that you're living in. You know, it's a new house, it's a new neighborhood, it's different schools that your kids are going to. It's a whatever. Yes. Everybody has to adapt. And yes. and different stresses cause different things. I mean, as we're as we're doing this right now. I am literally trying to get a pair of twin Afghan teenagers out of that country because their mother was a school teacher. They can't find their father. And if the Taliban finds them, they're dead. And I'm doing it having a podcast because to me, that type of stress, it feels like my combat, you know, like combat stress and the things that you've done and the things I've been trained for. I'm not happy about it, but there's a level of normal to that, that I will never forget the process. Just what you said of trying to buy my first house that had me darn near in the fetal position at one point, because that was a stress. My body was not used to. That is something that my head, I was so, I'm like, why, why do I have to fill out this, you know, or, um, 
you know, for at least for me, just, I don't know why this keeps, you know, kind of coming back to the legal stuff, but like when I had to like, at the last minute when I sold my house, um, I had a complication of the other side because I was in the process of getting my divorce and I lost my ever loving mind. I mean, I completely went off. I'm like, this is stupid. You already have this signed contract. Well, I want another one. I'm like, no, I don't care. And the ladies, I mean, at one point I'm literally on the phone screaming, I will scuttle this deal and take you to court over this. And it's a nothing burger, right? I literally just need to sign something. That's it. Just it. Just we're done. And I lost it. I mean, completely, totally lost it. Cause that's a stress that I was not, my, my body was not attuned to that. I was not equipped to, but right now being able to talk about the thing that I am so passionate about that I want everyone to see in veterans stories and things like that. And then at the same time doing something that I'm equipped to do the stress of trying to help people because that's so important to me too. It, yeah. It's, I mean, some people would completely melt down to me. This is just what I've gone through in part of the military. And that's the second thing, you know, the other book that I was going to say is, um, read Ryan holidays, ego is the enemy, because I think that he does a great job of pointing out that when you think that you're important, when you, when you, when you let your ego get the best of you, um, that's really when you get in trouble. And the problem with the first narrative about the American veteran that we get pumped up so much, like you're captain America, you're great. You're great. You're great. We are really good at one very tiny specific thing. And depending on how you get it in your career, you can go miles in depth. No one cares. No, no one, no one cares about, about that. Like, you know, you've got a whole bunch of special operations dudes in this, in, you know, former Rangers in this, in this room right now. And the thing that gets us hired and the thing that's gotten us where we are in life is that we can work really well on a team. We work really, really hard and we're really, really adaptable. And those are the last three things that we ever try and tell someone in a job interview. Mm -hmm. And I love those two books together because it's like, hey, if you leave this job and go to the next one and think like a day one private, every good day one private turns into a specialist really, really quick in a place like the Ranger Regiment, right? Because they're humble and they just work hard. Take that mindset. You will outperform your peers, especially at this day and age. You know, And then remember that you lost your tribe. Like, Actually mourn that. I, if I could go back in time, I would have mourned the fact that I didn't have that. I would have lamented the fact that I stacked too much up on me and I probably would have like taken a, like after my first semester, taken, taken one off. I probably should have. I just wasn't right. I was just so overwhelmed. Um, but that's it. it and, and again, to your point, it, it really is the different sort of stresses. And I think that that's the thing that we buy into our own hype <laughs> that we're so creative and that we're so adaptable and fight onto the ranger objective, though I'd be the lone survivor, right? You know, complete the mission. And then suddenly the mission is filling out homeowner paperwork and you're like, why do I have to sign this again? And the next thing you know, you're just freaking out. At least that was my experience for things like that. Well, thanks for bringing the book back up. I cut you off and so I'm glad you came uh, no, back and just, remembered the second book. And no. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think that I've heard, um, we've heard on multiple shows, veterans who have been a little bit more successful, or if they're, they're talking about lesson learned, is, you know, prepare and have like a nine-month or a 12-month kitty set aside that you could actually yes, yeah. veg and just go find yourself. Because like you said, you know, yeah. that was part of the challenge is, is finding yourself. Yeah. And, and so if you get hit the ground running and you go into right into the private sector and you start working and you're still running and gunning, you may you may think you got it all figured out. You got the job. You're back into the comfort zone. But yet you also at some point it may catch up with you and you realize 
you never really took that time to decompress. Absolutely. Well, it catches up with you or you end up like, you know, our grandparents had like this yeah. whole aspect of their life is missing from, yep. you know, your family history the, or from. Yeah. Kids go find, you know, a trunk in the, in the attic with all these war medals and everything. And you're like, I yeah. knew none of this. I didn't, yeah. I didn't yeah. know grandpa or yeah. dad. Yeah. And you know, I, I had you open this page yeah. in the book because, um, you know, we all did a di- different intro kind of to why we wrote this book. And I, th- I thought for me, it, it was really important to talk about the transition specifically. And to me, I envisioned the transition as, as kind of three phases. And I feel like everybody goes through these three phases. The durations are just different is, you know, your, your phase one, especially if you're a combat veteran, but even if you're not a combat veteran, maybe you, your role specific and you know, your place in the military, mm-hmm. um, the second that role is taken away from you, you immediately feel like, all right, there's a void. Identity loss. Yeah. Yeah. Identity loss. All right. I'm not that person anymore. Mm -hmm. So you're already trying to figure out, all right, what's the next thing. But then when you take the uniform off, then you're like, I was part of a bigger organization Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. no longer with me, no longer behind me. You know, I'm no longer standing shoulder to shoulder with them. And then the third piece that I think everybody goes through, but it's again, it could be a week after you transition or it can be 13 years after you transition. It's that reflection and looking back at your service and yeah. really trying to process everything you went through and really trying to understand all the lessons that you've learned throughout your entire military experience and understand how to explain that to people and why it's so important. And I talk about those three phases in there and that's what I, again, I hope people read this and I hope people, especially in the military read this yeah. And they understand that that's the process they're, they're going to go through. Mm-hmm. It just, if you know that that's coming, you can prepare for it and know nine months before you get out, you can already hopefully. start. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> you can already start realizing, all right, I need to write stuff down. Yeah. I need to, I need to, I need to know what I went through, however many months, years, whatever it was. And I need to start writing down the things that I know were important to me while I was in, in service. Yeah. And that's so much more necessary now going back to what we're talking about because there's so few of us. I, one of my favorite scenes in any movie of all time are the scenes in the VFW and Gran Torino because, you know, Eastwood's Walt's there with all of his Korean war buddies and they all have their shared communication and they all, everyone understands what that place is. It's a safe haven. And then the, and then the, the Padre comes in and everyone just can't wait to just, cause he's, he's an outsider. He's an interloper and he's trying to do the right thing. I mean, credit where it's due, but it's just, I always remember those scenes because it's, you have this tight knit group and it's like what you're talking about with like, it's lost to, it's lost to family history. It is, but those men and those, you know, those few women that were also doing it for nurses stuff, they found their tribe in those pla- in those VFW halls and that American Legion post and they kept it really tight in there. We don't have that luxury as GWAT veterans. And, and that's, and that's a tragedy and that's something that you can go you know, we could do an entire another podcast, talk for hours about, but we don't. So we can either adapt and and do what Dan's talking about and, you know, speak, speak the truth and, and give it that power or we're going to rot from the inside. And one of the things about the, the 22 a day narrative um, that bothers me is when people are, you know, when you get the pity parties from people are, Oh, this is so tragic or get the social, the social justice or even the like check on your buddy. No, don't, don't post it. Don't go yep. do it. Yep. Th- these are, these are actions that actually are one to one or one to few relationships that should get no press. 
And, and I don't mm-hmm. say that yeah. to not cause call attention to, hey, how can you help or make sure that people know the crisis hotlines. But I am saying that it's like, if you're going to post the crisis hotline, you damn well better be calling those two or three people that are inspiring you that you're worried about to do it. Like we had an incident recently where one of the veterans that's in the book is having was having a hard time. It happens all the time. This is we've had this actually three or four times throughout creating the book and stuff like that. This is just one that's happened relatively recently. And so what did we do? We activated the network. It was like, hey, yo, can you can you do a can you do a buddy check? Because we're worried and you're the person that's gonna be in better position to help this because we want to do it. The only reason I mean no names, nothing. It's like, but that's what you do. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's that is our generation's burden that the previous generation didn't have. And mm-hmm. it's why I agree with how Dan phrases it so much and I, you know, about the processing and how we need to be honest about that. We can't fight the last war or we can't, in this case, we can't fight the battle of the transition that the last war had because it's not ours and we don't have the numbers in this case. The previous generations didn't have the technology, didn't have mm-hmm. the, you know, the tele- telecommunications and stuff like that that mm-hmm. existed. And by the way, when they got out, even if they, there was a phone that existed in that time frame, it was, you know, that long distance meant truly long distance. Mm-hmm. I've now disconnected and my buddies are in other states and they've separated and gone in different directions. And um, some found it challenging. Some found the VFW and met new friends, you know, from right. that space and such. I'm curious, though, now that you've had a chance to step away, you know, like when when did this finish? By the way, uh, the last one was December. When April. did we when did we wrap writing um, stories? It was about April. Yeah, it was. April. It was just, okay, so we're looking four months now. You've had a chance four months. At some point, it would be really interesting if you haven't done it. To go and look at the the Time magazines or the types of publications that were published many years later of similar types of things, World War II veterans or Vietnam veterans or Korean War veterans, to see if there is a, uh, a similar pattern. Mm-hmm. Was there, or have you guys done that? Because I, I, I haven't looked up um, a similar pattern with previous wars. We did look up to try and see if there was any books like this out there already. Yeah. And I don't think there was. No, there's not. And that's kind of the, the spot, like for people listening, you know, when you think of a book, you're thinking, oh, well, it's just a flimsy, like small book to read through. Like, a I mean, novel. this is a museum quality 12 inch by 12 inch photo book. It's, it's a, a coffee yeah. table book. It's a piece of art. You're not going to just throw it on the shelf. You know, it's going to be sitting around for everyone to enjoy. No, so, it's huge. It's yeah. very well packaged. <laughs> yeah, so we, it's beautifully put together. Yeah, we put a lot like of time. It's, in, it's in, like in, Time Magazine. I mean, yeah. seriously, it's like, yeah. you know, when Time used to put those <laughs> things up, you know, the last the, the time, years. The time, like, I'm trying so hard not to cough because, I, yeah, like the time yeah. life and the old, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. time, WGN. And people used to have those types of yeah. books like you're talking about on yeah. the coffee table. But it's interesting because I would like to go and see how long it took for them to come out with that because yes. I think we I mean, ju- we jumped on it early, but we jumped on it at the perfect timing with the 20 year war, you know, anniversary coming up. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, and I think that the, the, the title, um, that was one of the first things that caught my attention when, when Dan was telling me about it. And I, there's something about the way that we as human beings mark time. Right. I, I mean, it, it's one of those things why, you know, the, the one year, the two year, the anniversaries of something, and just knowing, it, it, people say, "Oh, this is the longest war that 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 America has fought." And to me, that was always like shrug, whatever, you know, like you don't think about it. But the twenty-year war, I'm like, the war could retire if it wanted to, which blows right, yeah. which just blows yeah. my mind. Or that people are entering service that were born yeah. after, right? Two two years after the, and, the and f- deployed and yeah, weird. It's just 
I mean, we one of the stories that we have in the book is um, Bill Thetford, um, Sergeant Major Thetford, and his son Andrew served at the same time. So there's a story of them. But right now, which is awesome, but Andrew was, you know, in his 20s when, you know, he bounced around a little bit, you know, and he just decided that he was going to ultimately, you know, sort of uh, follow his, well, that's not fair. To, that's not fair to Andrew. He decided that he was going to enlist of his own accord. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to say like follow in his father's footsteps. Andrew's his own man. And yeah. I, I feel that that's very important. And he's awesome. I love him. Like they have a great relationship, but let's be fair to that. But right now there are, I have friends whose, whose kids were born within, you know, plus or minus two years of 9-11. So either two years in yeah. front of it or two years behind it, mm-hmm. decided to actually follow their father's footsteps. Their dad is still in the military right now mm. at senior level, enlisted or officer, and their kid's in right now. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and in the case, especially if it's the two years in front, it's, it's, they're officers, like there's two officers serving at the same time and, and the but it's different. That, that's happened before, but not necessarily. It's never happened in the same war. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. Maybe within a twenty-year span. Yeah. yeah. A Twenty-five-year span. You know, you have all oh, my old bands and admiral, yeah, or whatever, right. and they're in, they're both in, but that's Cold War era, or that's uh, yeah, he served Vietnam and Korea, and you know, or whatever. Yeah. But it's I'm Cold War. You know, it's yeah. it's yeah. different. Well, I think the twenty-year thing is kind of significant because that's about the age we are when we join, mm-hmm. and you kind of get frozen in that yeah. time frame. Yeah. You know, it's like hard. Like you were talking about like living a persona-driven lifestyle, and you know, Ranger, it's a persona, and you like put it on, you know, and, it's, yep. and you wear it until you transition, and then maybe you keep doing it. But I think yeah. like yeah. when you think about like twenty years, like that's seems like my whole life. I mean, yeah, yeah I served twenty years, and tell me, I can tell you that it's like the it's like a blur. Yeah, you know, yeah. of of serving twenty years, but having done it in through a combat, you know, in rotations, there's a difference, and I totally respect that that part of it. That we're talking about a different level of veterans or a different set of veterans. We're all kind of connected, but you know what I mean. It's just, um, yeah. yeah. So I, I think you know when I start looking at something like this in this compilation. Um, I'm hearing, though, some of the same challenges that happen no matter where, what time frame that you get out. I think it is. You hit it right on the, uh, the nail on the head. It's it's the same issues. You know, it's yeah. the, I was somebody yeah. here, and I'm not going to be that person any longer, whatever it was. And, and you may not be, I remember a wife telling her husband when he said he was going to retire, she's like, you do realize you're not going to be Sergeant Major anymore when you walk out the door. Yep. You, you do realize that. And she was dead serious. He mm-hmm. thought it was jokingly, but... He lived the persona of being a sergeant major all the time. Mm-hmm. Love that aspect of it. Right. Then you take off the uniform, and like you said, I, I thought that was really cool too because you take off the uniform and you you don't realize that when you remove that, it's not just the image of who you or the the person you portrayed, but it's also you were a part of something mm-hmm. much bigger than yourself that you you think, oh man, I can't wait to get the out of these damn clothes. I mean, even when we're in like you know. Initial entry training. We can't wait to get our civvies back on. We can't mm-hmm. wait, you know. And and the truth is, is that, you know, later on it catches up with you and you start realizing, nah, man, I, I really enjoyed those yeah. moments and I want to somehow connect. Um, and I think that's what's great about these types of platforms, whether it's book, it's audio. And I know you guys do a podcast as well on top of it to talk about these types of stories um, is that it allows people who are listening or reading 
to even connect in a different way as well. Yeah. Well, and it's it's funny that you were talking about like we can't wait to take off our uniform and put our civvies on, but that's a two way street. Like I was thinking, I was laughing so hard because at thirtieth AG, you're salty if you have your you know now your multi cams on, right? Yeah. I mean, you've been there three days before everybody else, dude. You know nothing, buddy. <laughs> but yeah. man, you I'll never forget walking like oh, they're not in PTs. They're in, I'm gonna date myself here. They're in BDUs, oh, right? Ooh, look, their boots are shiny. They don't, you know. And now, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. like those are the things you do. And still, to to this day, like how you, you know people that are in, you just you judge someone like by their gear. Like, are they a geardo or are they a special ops guy? Ooh, they've got the you know they've got the cries or ooh they've got this. It's like, like people that are out are doing that too, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's those, right. They're the worst. You, you yeah. can spot them. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're seeing they, it all they, over. They've rapidly become the worst. And I just think it's funny because we were talking, we were looking through the picture. And we were talking about the OG, I mean, deep, deep second range of battalion tactical tailor stuff that one of the one of the guys in the book, Joel Carpenter, is wearing like the original vest. And we're just joking about it because yeah. it's almost it's like everything's, now. Yeah, everything's old as new again. And it's just it, it that the, but those two way streets of and I think it speaks so much to the identity. Right. Where and I think that's what makes the transition as as a military as as someone from the military and as a veteran so hard is because you wanted something at times so badly when you're in uniform like oh my gosh all i want to do is put my civvies on i want to put my put my hat on backwards and i want to forget about it like i'm so done and with walk on grass right exactly yeah, walk on grass. <laughs> like i still struggle with that no you know yeah no seriously like i'm like i'm gonna walk on the grass right and seriously, then, it's like stupid but it's just one of those things it's ingrained in you and, yeah and then at the same time you you remember all you know it's, it's not an accident that i have all my ranger plaques all over you know my office or my house or do you have an I love you, uh, I love me wall? So I had one um, in my old place and then really just the way that to set up my new my new apartment that I just moved into in Omaha, it just didn't look right, if that makes sense. But I've got, everything's all still up. It's yeah. just in, it's just in different, different spots. Places. You know, mm -hmm. I, ex except for, um, I think I'll put it up, but I have my American flag that I had an AC-130 gunship in 04 fly for me mm. and I had an A-10 that's fly cool. it because well, I was working staff so they'd like oh, come in for coordinations that's, that's cool yeah. you know I think they'd come in for coordination like hey yo can you fly my flag they're like oh yeah man we got you right so <laughs> you know it was like everyone it was on it was on a couple of uh it was on a couple of Blackhawks I mean it just sore was like great you know like this is what we so that you know has a lot of of um you know, well, that means a lot to me uh, right now. It's folded up on a shelf. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not flying, but, um, Dan, do you have one? Yeah. Um, so what's interesting is I, I had one and I put it in a room that nobody ever saw. Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, it was one of those things that even like people I went to school and stuff with, it would usually have to be somebody else that would see it mm -hmm. and then like pull other people to go look at it. Um, but again, I've, I've realized, you know, it is good for people to see what I have done. So yes, it's in my house now and it's, it's actually on a wall, like up my stairs, um, so that anybody kind of going up the stairs can see it and, you know, stop and whatever. But so many guys get, you know, a bad rap or, you know, they get a hard time about the fact that you have one of those types of things. What, what I found is I didn't put mine up for a long time frame. My, it was actually my kids and my wife who is sort of like finding, I, I, I literally had them in these tote bags and everything, you know, that was stuffed away in the attic. And they were like, you know, either throw these damn things away or put them up was kind of what my wife said. And the kids yeah. said, well, you need to put it up, put some of this stuff up, you know? And at first I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. What I found, though, is that on occasion, it's nice, and I have it in my office, and it's nice every once in a while just to look on the wall 
and a flood of memories can come back. Mm. And so the things, the sound bites that we talk about, that as you get older, you know, the, the big memories that you're trying to capture here now become then sound bites in photographs instead of a movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's so important then to capture the audio in the movie because otherwise those sound bites and pictures create fragments that just don't complete a story and yeah. it's harder to do. But we then have those flashbacks and those memories by looking at it. And it does give you that sense of connection and that tribe, even if you're just looking at a coin or a, you know, a challenge coin or a patch or something like that for a moment. I think it's almost cathartic in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and I was going to ask you when you talk with these guys, was it cathartic? Did they say, oh my God, oh, this is probably. Yeah, for sure. Especially yeah. the, like you talk about Aaron, but. Mm, yeah, it was, I think, um, there was one specific moment to where you could tell that they didn't want to talk about their experience in detail, but the more they started going on and the more I just listened to it, it became like hours of us just hanging out and me listening to them kind of having like a, a comeback to life moment. And, and some of these people, like I said, I won't name drop people will read the book and they'll, they'll read through it, but have taken, you know, 12 years until they finally are like kind of facing the music for lack of a better term. It, so, you, so you had individuals, then you feel like we're still in that haze oh, yeah. Until, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, until you sat with them and then it was a pop. Yep. Well, it was, it was, you know, depending on what each person has been through, you know, there's a, um, a handful of people that have been through some experiences that are not like others and it's put them in kind of a deeper you know, mindset where they wanted to almost just abandon everything that they ever known about the military, go on their life and forget about it. And the second that I come around this random civilian who's interviewing them for a book, they're kind of like a little hesitant. And then once they go through with it, they're like, well, shit, I already did that part of it. My face is already in a book now that everyone's going to see. I might as well jump back on board Mm. and help out in any capacity that I can. So it's been pretty cool to see the friendships I've made out of these veterans who are in my phone that I can just call up and we'll go out to lunch or we'll go kayaking or we'll hang out. And, um, just seeing that now they want to be part of the community again of veterans. It's, it's, it's really special to see that. And Robert, you'd mentioned earlier that Bo not knowing as much as, as the other four of us was, was an asset on the project. And it absolutely was like, there's, he was so earnest and, and he was so authentic of just trying to tell the story that, the occasion and you'll hear like he'll he'll pivot away from like the five questions like ask a follow-up and it is one of those questions that unless you are as earnest as he was and as authentic as he was in sort of i don't want to say ignorant but that's the word that's coming to mind um of what he was asking like that question would have gone south in a hurry yeah. mm-hmm. and what's i mean in a hurry and there's a couple of times i'm like oh like i'm texting you like please tell him not to do that again like you know um <laughs> don't worry well, but no no, no, no. <laughs> but, but the reason but the reason that i say that and i actually think that it's it would to me it was actually one of the most powerful things that i'm going to remember forever about the project is that um and, and this is the two-way street and this is what i would say for the for the non-veterans or the non-military that, that's listening right now is that as long as you don't ask the really dumb questions, like, did I kill anyone? Yeah. What's it like watching my friend die? Like, I mean, just the table stakes, mm-hmm. dumbassery questions. Like if you're not asking that, but if, if we as a community really feel like you're asking to understand if you're asking, so we can start having a shared, um, lexicon, mm-hmm. we're really open to it. And it was one of those things where 
I think this is where having been at Ranger up and, and worked in media and stuff like that sort of hurt me. And I had to like re recalibrate myself. So I'm so used to talking points. I'm so used to, you don't go here. And like, so he would say something like, Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, at one point he's asking a little literal living legend of the special operations community, like how many times he's deployed. Okay. Like, <laughs> and very politely sort of gives them the, you know, the, the soft, the soft Heisman on it. But it was just like, it, it, you know, and it was in good humor and everyone took it that way because all he was trying to say is like, I want to establish genuinely. Yeah. Genuine. Mm -hmm. I want to establish your credibility with our audience that yeah. you've done things that you've really served. And like yeah. that was yeah. the spirit was taken. In. And I just realized that I had to recalibrate myself and remind myself that when people are asking me, you know, to get off my, you know, shed some of the things I've done in the past, because most people really are, if you ask with real authenticity and you're trying to establish that shared lexicon, that's one of the best things that you can do. Don't be afraid to ask the question. Don't be afraid to approach us again, as long as you're not asking the ones that you, and you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know, that's a bad question on some of these. Okay. Like don't ask those, but we're here. We want to have that conversation. The, especially in this, in this moment right now is, is the war's winding down and you know, we're really wrestling with this and we're, you know, like I said, like we're trying to do some crazy things. Like most of us are open to that. If you come at it with authenticity and you come at it with humility well, and it might take a second to open up. I mean, Bo really does have a gift to get people open to open up quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, it might take a second, but we're not, a, I would say as a community, the thing I'm noticing in the past three or four years is that we're way less. And I think part of it's just because the leading edge, like myself being 40 now, um, <laughs> you know, it just, it's just that number. Um, I think we're, we're putting enough space and enough distance and that we want to talk about it. I think that there's more, I think that, you know, yeah, the 20 year war is great, but I don't know if this book could have been done as the 10 year war just mm -hmm. because I don't know if the community was ready. And I'd, I'd really be yeah. interested to see what you guys think about that. But that's just one of the things I've also started to realize as we've been talking about this book more. You know what I, I you know what I would be interested in is uh, obviously we're very prideful of this book and we're hoping that more projects will come from it like it. Maybe we'll do more books in the future outside of other things we have lined up. But I'd be curious to see other books like this come out. Mm. Or to it, or for it to inspire others to like share more stories in some other capacity. How many how many subjects do you have in this? Seventy one. Seventy one. Mm -hmm. That's not that many people for twenty uh, years no, worth of work. And count. you could do a volume two. Yeah, I mean yeah. we've we've talked about it. We've talked about a, a lot of different things that we want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I agree. You know, only capturing seventy one stories is is nearly not enough. I mean, that's a, an ambitious amount of people to interview. Yeah, it, it was a lot. I mean, and especially in the time frame of in the time frame three we months. had was. No, I was looking chaos. at that. Like when you guys started the project, and, the, and like now I have this in my hands. I'm like, that's well, it. That's, that's a lot of work. Well done, yeah. guys. <laughs> so fast. I'm gonna totally tattle on myself for a minute because this is one of the best stories, even if I once again proved I'm a dumbass. So even before I started writing, Dan, Dan called me up and he's basically like, bro, like pitches me. So I'm like, yeah, that's great. I'm like, how can I help? He's like, I need your little black book. Like we only have what, like seven veterans at that point. Yeah, maybe. And then yeah. he was like, if you want to do it, you'll be like eight, like, like seven or eight. I can't remember. I'm like, yeah, totally in. And he's like, I'm like, great. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll totally do it. So, uh, Bill Butler, uh, Colonel retired, uh, Butler, who is the chief of staff of the national veterans Memorial and museum. I'm like, he's going to be perfect. He's got all the, I'm like, and so I'm, I'm so excited. I'm like, dad, hang on. I'm like he's on the phone with me. I'm like, I'm banging out the email to him. I'm like, Billy, you got to check this out. Send it. He's on there and he goes, Tom, you didn't include a subject line. I'm like, right. And then what was, but it was even better is that like 10 minutes later, Bill immediately gets back to us and yeah. is like, how can I help? And then 
the next person that I that I was that I emailed in the succession and I did go back and look at my emails, it was him, was actually General Votel, because I had served under him on staff. So I'd been his school's NCO. And I was like, hey sir, you know, we we need we need some help. And he's like, he's like, you know, absolutely. And I start going on the chain. So we there's like seven when he hits the road. And by the end of that first trip, it was what, like 30, 35? Yeah, 35, 35. 36 yeah. stories. And the thing is, is like to your point, it was all happening in real time. It was all like, hey, uh, Bo's in Texas. Great. I've got someone in Texas. Like, where is he? Ooh. Austin. Oh, yeah. cool. We've got, it, it's all. That's it, cool. There was no, and the thing about this project too, no one said no. Yeah. The only time we wow. got a couple of times, a couple of times we got a, I can only do it on this day or this time. And it didn't work out just, right. just because of like coordination or, you know, things like that. Or, you know, or someone's like, Hey, I'm out of the country or whatever, but no one's, no one flat out said no for this yeah. entire thing. Like yeah. the, it was funny because I'm like, I'm telling them like, you guys, business is not like this. And it was funny because like the project create, the creation of it was so smooth. And then like we get to the back end, like how do we market it? How do we, like, how do we finish production? How do we sell it and everything? And that's when all the business problems came in. And I'm like, yeah. this is what I was telling you guys about. But making it, no one said it's no. It's funny because you brought it up and people that are listening and there's no video. Dan looked at me immediately when Tom just said that because we were both thinking of the same story. But there was an instance where I was staying in a cheap motel in Moab, Utah. And I was, this was kind of like my day off, if you will. I was like out swimming in the Colorado River and it was half frozen. And, um, like leave the light on for you. So I bet, yeah, basically. <laughs> he yeah. likes those. That's oh, his thing, man. Bugs and, <laughs> yeah. Dude, he is, he is a Route 66 Americana guy. God, yeah. God bless you. Oh, I, look I, at his Instagram. I've fallen asleep in horse troughs before. Like it's, I mean, a, a bed that looks somewhat clean in a hot shower. I'm like, that's fine. So I'll stay in like the rundown. Courtyard Marriott are better boys. Yeah. Just so we're clear. <laughs> I'll, I'll stay in like the rundown $45 motel. But anyway, I was, it was probably eight o'clock at night. Um, and that was West coast time, Pacific time. Then Dan calls me and he's like, Hey, there's uh, this girl, Sophie, that should be calling you. And, um, I need you to interview her for the book. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, where is she at? And then he was like, you'll never guess it. She's on her way to Moab right now. And she lives she in her was van. Like 15 minutes from Moab. So I immediately was like, are you kidding me? And he's like, yeah, like this is a story that we need to have. She's on basically your way on her trip because she lives in her van. She's been doing it for like 10 months at that point. So like I caught her up yeah. and I was like, hey, is this like nomadic Sophie, like who lives in her van? <laughs> and she was like, it is. And I was like, you just talked to Dan. I'm in Moab right now. If you'd like to meet up, I know it's dark right now, but maybe tomorrow morning I can we can wake up early and take your photo. And she was like, yeah, I have a meeting early in the morning but let's make it happen. And then she's like, I haven't showered in like four days. And I was like, I have a hotel room. I can step out for 20 minutes. You can take a shower and all that. But it was just funny because it was like the crazy hectic timing to line things up. On the back end of that, I was, so every time we would interview a new veteran, we would always say, hey, do you know anybody else who has a really good story? I was going to ask you that. So how did it yeah. grow from there? Was it yeah. people going, oh my God, you need to go talk to Paul. Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So this was somebody. Paul, you're I, not in there, but I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, you're well, it's standing invitation, standing, standing go for you're volume 70, two. You're yep. 72. Deal. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Actually, we'll make you 75. <laughs> I like it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was talking to another veteran that we were lined up for a future interview and I was asking him, Hey, who do you know? And stuff. And he, and he connected me with Sophie. And then I, so I called Sophie and I was talking to her about the project and everything. And, um, he, uh, she, she was like, yeah, so I'm on the, uh, you know, across the country right now. I don't know like how we're going to make this happen because it's going to be difficult. But, um, 
she she was like, well, I'm, I'm on my way to this place in Moab, and I was like, wait, what? Really? <laughs> I was like, you're uh, you're you're literally on your way to the guy who takes the photos. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're you're on your way there. I was like, if if it works out for you since you're staying there, can we just go ahead and do it tonight? And she right. was like, um. I guess. And I was like, all right. I was like, let me call the photographer. And these are like cold calls. You're not like, well, uh, I'd say, I'd say probably, probably about 50% of them were like somebody would introduce us in a text or introduce us in an email or something like that. Yeah. But it's still cold because I'm, yeah. Yeah. It's like us, you know, meeting. Well, it was always me that was reaching out for the most part at first. So it was me just reaching out and calling and they'd see a random number and I'd be like, Hey, I'm photographing and doing this book. And I'd have to get probably a couple minutes into the conversation. And I think, you know, veterans are smart. They use their intuitions. And I'm always a person that follows my intuition. And I think they wanted to test it out to see if it was legit. And then after the first couple minutes, they were like, just like totally relaxed. Well, I think the, the key thing was, is like every time we had these conversations, it was, we, we want to tell the stories. We told them the structure of how we wanted to do it. And it was very much like, we want to focus on your transition and, that opened the door for every veteran. That's why we didn't get a single no, because veterans are, are definitely still very close off and telling their combat stories yeah, yeah, yeah. and telling, telling their stories of like serving in uniform. But I think every veteran's open to being like, this was a shit show for me. Yeah. And let me tell you why, or this was a horrible experience for me. And let me tell you why, you know, or whatever the case may be, but they're, they're very open to talk about what they're doing now. Yeah. But it's, and like what their experience was like. Yeah, but that's also the story that needs to be told. And exactly. That's, and that's the thing that I, I think that the format that we had of, you know, because for the veteran, what we want to be able to do is express at least if the theme that I took from the from the book and the Power for Miners is we want to express how we are Americans first and we are still serving our community. Mm-hmm. And we want you to see that when we took the uniform off, that wasn't the end. It was just mm-hmm. a chapter that closed. I, I think that the way that we sort of... Uh, entice, I guess is the word I would use the average civilian who's curious is because the way we started is, well, why did you want to serve? Especially one of the questions that I've gotten so much and I just have to deflect mm-hmm. and say, I enlisted in 1999, man. I want to, I want to jump out of airplanes, shoot automatic weapons, blow stuff up and get some money for college. Like that was my duh, you know, but so many people are like, well, why, well, why would you, why would you enlist in 2007? You know, right, right after the, you know, why would you, why would you go in in 04 with this, with Iraq raging and Afghanistan finally being up to speed? Why would you even enlist in 2011 the way that we had some of these people knowing that, you know, as Iraq's winding down, there's this surge buildup in, um, you know, in, in, in Afghanistan. And then even the later people say, well, Osama bin Laden's dead. Why would you continue? Why would you continue to fight Mm -hmm. this? You know, the, these things, it's like, so that's how we start. So they, they get to answer that. Then it's like, okay, this is what they did. And then we kind of get to what we feel like is the meat of it. And like, this is what it took for me to transition. This is what I'm doing. And then this is what I'm doing now. For me, that was, what was so exciting when Dan was pitching. He's like, I want to be able to show who these men and women are now. That's why the portrait's so important is that we're going to capture a moment in time. Yes. But the moment in time is who they are this second, like all these shared experiences have gotten them to this place. And that to me is ultimately the, ultimately the power of, of what we're doing. And I think why all these stories need to be told 
And I really hope that, you know, to Bo's point earlier, that there are other content creators that see the value in a format that's similar to this, whether it's podcast, whether it's a documentary, whether it's a movie, whether it's another, another book that they want to do, if it's more long form or pictures like whatever, but it's just the more America and the more the world can see what happens after, Mm. right? Because so many people think that you get out of service and like the curtain closes, right? And roll, roll credits. And that's the movie. No, 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 no. The movie starts actually like that was just the trailer. The movie really starts after that because at best you're going to spend 30 years, which is roughly half your life in that uniform. That's the best someone's ever going to do. But most of us, what's the statistic? I think it's like 72 to 74% are all first are our single enlistment. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the military. That makes sense. Some, I'd have to go back and double check the number on that, but that's close. So it's really just a blip in the radar. It's like yeah. we went to, we decided that we were going to go to the military and go to college. You know, we just decided to tack on that extra, you know, two to two to six. And I, I still in 20, I still think that there's such a disconnect with the American population about that, where they see, you know, the, the careers and they miss. Well, one, one thing I, I do want to put in here, because I, I feel like we don't talk about it enough, is, is General, General Votel wrote the forward for our book. And if you read all the way like to the, towards the end mm-hmm. of his, he, he specifically calls out the themes that we've been talking about. But he figured this out himself just by knowing kind of some of the stories that were in it, was we hope that as people read it, not just veterans, but also civilians, that there's 71 unique stories and you're going to either find your path through their story, mm-hmm. or you're going to find some form of connection and understand that you're connected to them, awesome. veteran or not. Yeah. 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 And and that's the same thing that happens, by the way, in these types of platforms too. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of civilians that listen to this show and it's the same thing I hear is like, listen, sometimes I listen, I don't understand the acronyms you guys are talking about. Sometimes it's just a cool story, but there has been many times that I've taken something away from the conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's what we always said. If if somebody's listening to a platform or a show like this mm-hmm. and they're able to take one nugget that either they take an action from or they have somebody else take an action like, hey, you ought to do this, mm-hmm. you you set out to do the same thing in the book. Yeah. Right? And, you know, it's, it's again, it's that, that giving back, that... Um, that sense of service, that yeah. trying to explain that um, we need to remain connected, mm-hmm. all those types of things. And it's just a different platform. I don't think there's enough um, enough people that are trying to bridge this gap that you guys are trying to do, too, within the civilian and the, and the, the military, because both sides, having been on both sides mm-hmm. now for a long period of time, um, it's them, you know, it's yeah. those guys that served and they may have a story of like, yeah, I wanted to serve, but you know, and then there's the, the veteran community that on occasion goes, um, well, it's those guys, you know, they don't understand us, mm-hmm. you know, or, or whatever, as long as we keep making excuses and we don't come together to understand yeah. each other's stories, mm-hmm. you know, cause we have mm-hmm. stories, both sides. Um, we're just not going to bridge that divide. We're going to keep making it fragment and break it apart. And I I think too, and this is one of those things that struck me about all of the veterans that we had and what they, what they all chose because one of the, one of the story, one of the conversations we all had was, okay, well, what if we don't get a real story? What if we just get someone's talking points Mm -hmm. what are, what are we going to do? Right. That never happened. They they all, they all truly chose to be authentic. I can think of one time where we had a conversation of will we or won't we include something in, in the book. And it was not about their story. It was about, was it appropriate to tell that facet given 
how we structured it. Mm-hmm. There was one one time out of 71 and ultimately there was a really short conversation because we we're going to keep it. Um, I think that to your point, like, yes, there's so many fragments and everyone's screaming into these echo chambers. And there's one thing that since, um, you know, Dan and I have, I have really experienced, you know, talking in the press with some other things with what's going on, you know, overseas and, you know, plus trying to promote the book is so many people have a talking point. They don't want to talk about the authenticity. They don't want to talk about the truth. They want the talking point in 30 seconds. And if you don't get it in 30 seconds, you, you think that you're either not coming back on the show and this is how you're going to do whatever, or, um, your ratings are going to go down and, you know, and it's the same thing with, I didn't get enough likes on this post and, you, you know, going all the way back to, like I said, like at Ranger up, we were some of the original true generation one influencers in the world. It's not what we're necessarily intending to do, although we're certainly trying to get our name out there. And it's like watching that and watching all the evolution of all that stuff. It's like, I was literally had my finger on the button to delete all of my social media the day before he called me. And it was only, I mean, I was like, all right, well, and I don't know why I didn't do it. I'm glad I didn't, but it's like, I was so done with it. And I really truly don't like the social media game because I know what it does because it lacks that authenticity. It just reinforces that echo chamber. But if we're going to get there, both the civilians and the, the veteran communities have to put their walls down enough to like try and have an authentic conversation. And they need to have the courage to get past talking points and talk the way that we are right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where social media can come in and be a good thing. Like there's a lot of design for it to be a, a good thing for community, but it's like what's going on with Afghanistan. You see half naked girls posting photos in the mirror and they're like, pray for Afghanistan. You're like, really? Yeah, like yeah. That's, that's what you decided decide. to post and, and pity for the people. All right. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It's that, that's a whole nother thing. But I, I do think that, I also think kind of to the point of it just being 20 years, I think that there's maturity on both sides of that aisle to, to your point, Robert. And I think that's also why those conversations are slowly happening. I mean, like you said, Paul, like we couldn't have done the book 10 year at, at the 10 year war. I don't think that yeah we were ready, you know, uh, but I think that that's starting to come around. And I think that um, the more we can have those conversations and the more we have conversations mm-hmm. like this, the better off everyone is going to be, but it requires um, it, it, it does. It requires that humility and that, authenticity yeah they're willing to say this you know even like you know even today like it's kind of really embarrassing when you think about it at least for me to say that the thing that overrode my stress response wasn't being in combat it was trying to sign for and then sell a house like those are the meltdowns of my life but they are that's just what it is you know um you know, and, and I'm sure some people think that I'm a total dumbass for that. And I mean, I am a total dumbass, by the but way, I, but I bet, there's a, I bet there's a lot of civilians out there that are, are trying to make their first home purchase right now. And yeah. they're like, yeah, they yeah, get it. Okay. I was in the fetal position Rangers. too. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I got about it. So oh my God. I think, I, but, but that's illustrative of a point. And that's how the middle ground is going to be found. I think like we got to give a lot of credit to our civilian counterparts. They've been doing this the last 20 years. We've been doing this. They've been doing the civilian thing. Yeah. I'm always thankful for Rob's friendship because he got out before me. Quite a bit before me. Yeah, let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so when he got out back in the 1970s. I'm, I'm, closer, I'm closer to Tom's age. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we'll, we'll run on this side of the table, buddy. Yeah. Like, all, all y'all youngins. But he's been doing the civilian Actually thing not, but we'll just stick with that for <laughs> 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, so at the... 
you know, I'm not going to go to my old first sergeant and be like, hey, how do I make it? Because he got out right. after I did, you know? Yeah. And I think in the book, like, you're going to find people that probably had incredible careers and their transitions were harder than some people who yep. had shorter careers, maybe fewer accolades, mm-hmm. and they transitioned mm-hmm. more smoothly. Well, that was one of the things that J.C. Glick said in the book that I thought was so smart. He's talking about, like, how you transition. And one of the things he said is he's, he's like, find a civilian mentor. Yeah. Do not go back to your old network, develop your new network and find a civilian mentor because they are going to show you the way forward in this new process. And I was like standing on, yeah. yeah. Duh. You know, like that's, your, only, that's your cheat code right there. Yeah. yeah. They've, been, they've been doing it the whole time. Right. And I've he, never heard that actually. Yeah. So that's just, it is, it, I mean, you would think that we have all heard that before. You would think. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, it's right. like, this should yeah. be common knowledge. Everybody right. should right. understand. And this. instead what you hear though, is like we talked about earlier, it's go find your veteran who's been successful yeah. through the transition. Yeah. And can t- I, I mean, go, I'm telling you, if you're, if you're the college aged veteran, go find a professor Okay. And, yeah. and go find that one professor and at, I mean, flat out be like, listen, I'm trying to make it. I need some mentorship and have that humility. It'll work out for you. If you're, if you're mm-hmm. new to the job, find that manager that you trust and say the same and say the same thing and be like, look, this is how it, this is how I'm trying to do it. Because like, if, if you do that, you start a conversation, you're going to start the ripples in the pond and it does help and it does get better. Mm-hmm. And if there was one thing that I learned from how, painfully awful. I mean, like, seriously, I, I had to leave the country and be by myself for five months with a backpack. I I mean, that's what, that's what it took. Like, that's how, I mean, that's how bad my life fell apart when I finally like went on tilt, but before I could come back and even, and even think about it, like that's how much it built up for me over 15 years. And I get it as with most things in my life, I'm an extremo, but you you know, you don't need to get there. Um, you know, the other thing he talks about is that have someone that you can mentor, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether it's, whether it's a young, whether it's a young soldier that, that you have, you know, sailor, airman, marine from whatever you were that, you know, that you can advise to someone, you know, that's transitioned, which or is, if you can even advise a civilian, which again could yeah. help bridge that divide. Ex- yeah. Right. Exactly. Have that because if then you you're building a forging a relationship and you're hearing mm-hmm. it. For, yeah. But now I, you're starting to replace the things that you had in the military, which is good. You've exactly. got you've got somebody that is looking up to you that you're responsible mm-hmm. to, you know, foster some knowledge in them. You've got a mentor, which I found that was like the most jarring experience when I left the military. I'm like, you're supposed to tell me like what, what to, to do, do right? You know? like, <laughs> and I'm a pretty independent guy, but yeah. I'm like, now mentors don't do that. Mentors listen. And then they right. say, you've got to figure it out based on X, but they don't give you the path. Right. And that's the difference is you're not supposed to be the person. That's a coach. Right. But when you're, so but when a, you're in the military, you always have a guide. Yes. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. okay, well, I'm going to be standing in that guy's boots in six months to a year if I do these things. And yeah. he's going to help me get there. And, but the other thing is, is that your mentor also, a good mentor also reminds you, is just as, you know, effusive with their praise as they are with their critique. And I like one of the, the, most amazing moments of both Dan and I's life happened this week when we, we did an interview mm-hmm. on CNN and we just get an email from General Votel. He's like, boys caught your interview on CNN. This is one of the best explanations of this horribly sad situation that that I have heard. Good job. And Bo was on the text message chain too. Like I screenshot, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm completely freaking out because he didn't have to do it. You know, he's, he's a busy guy, but he took the time. He once again continued and he was, he has been one of my mentors, like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and just to see that and just to see that commitment to it, 
it mm-hmm. was just this wonderful thing. And to your point, Paul, it's like, that's the thing. It's like, if you have a mentor and you're willing to develop someone that's your mentee, that is bridging those divides. That is filling those gaps. That is you finding your new tribe. And mm-hmm. as you find that new tribe and as you take the skills that you had and all the things that were positive from the military and even some of the negative, and you start being able to transition and transition it forward to that new career, you really are. Once I finally figured this out and I love, I say this with, honest humility, but I just believe it. You are one of the best assets to any organization that you're in. As long as you fit that culture, if you're the cultural fit for it and you've mastered that, I am going to work my butt off. I am adaptable and creative and I will be a good team player. Cause this is the culture for me. Bring it. I will, I will outperform everybody, not in an arrogant way, mm-hmm. but in a way no. that like I've taken all of these skills yeah. and I've, I've synthesized it. And then it's like, I also understand at that point that like, Hey, junior guy on my team, come here, let me, let, let's do this. Like, let me show you how we're doing this and not have that fear. Like you said, like in the military, you always remember like someone's replacing me. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to move up. The corporate world gets so bogged down in that one. How much are they making? Like, are they going to get the promotion? Like all the water cooler garbage. It's like you strip it away. Right. And you, and you don't think about it because you have this, this competitive thing already built in. It's like, you know, like I'm going to outwork you. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do my thing. And when you get there, you know, that is when, the world just opens up for you as a veteran. And that's where I see so many successful veterans. And I, I'm totally going off now. I'm totally going like veteran entrepreneurship coach mode. That's that, what dad's no, laughing that, at. That's great. <laughs> but it's like, that's, that's what it is. That's the secret sauce. Yeah. Where, where can people find the book? Because now that it's come out and it's in print or you're about ready to launch this thing, how are people going to be able to find it now they've heard the story? It's uh, 20yearwar.com. I encourage everybody to go to our website to purchase it at 20yearwar.com. Uh, I know if you do a Google search, there's going to be another result right above ours. Don't click that it link. Starts, it's go one below it. it. it one. You are not, go you're one not below it. To have yeah. the number one. Uh, uh, no, that uh, starts uh, with an A. Unfortunately, Jeff Bezos uh, pays for that <laughs> with everything. Um, but yeah, and also for all my all my Marines. And by the way, shouts to you guys. You do have to spell out twenty. Year <laughs> but if war. you fail to do so, it will still show up. Oh, yes, we, but we, we oh, bought all the backlinks. Yeah. It, <laughs> so go to go to twentyyearwar.com. There's two versions of the book. There is a standard edition, which is just the book by itself, which again is still an incredible book. This is the one that we're That's looking at. Right you're here. looking at here, okay. and then there's a limited edition, which we also have here. Bo, if you can grab that. Um, it comes with a slip case, so it's it's much cleaner. You know, looks good on a bookshelf or on a coffee table, yeah. or something like that. Um, and then we also have a. Uh, so I know viewers aren't seeing this, but you guys are seeing it. So yeah. it's a nice slip Beautiful. case. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we have a challenge coin with it too, which I. Oh. And, and by the way, as he go. as he gets it, for all our veterans, the challenge yeah, coin the challenge doesn't suck. Okay, one of the things when I was at Ranger Up, I'm just going to tell him myself, was like, because like, oh, you guys are the Ranger Up guys. And like suddenly like the general that wouldn't give me a time of day when I was a specialist suddenly wants to give me like five of their coins, right? And I'm like, cool. And I'm looking, I'm like, back of my head, I'm like, man, this is so moto. This sucks. What were you what, what were you guys thinking? Like, honestly, when these challenge coins got done, I'm like, I'm actually going to put that on my shelf. And Dan's like, I know, right? I'm like, it doesn't suck. <laughs> what's, what's cool about it that you guys did a really nice job. It's not your typical round coin or no. anything yeah. like that, but it's also numbered, yeah. uh, which, yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. yeah so that the, aspect well, is really good. Yeah. So the, the limited edition, again, slipcase challenge coin comes with a, a leather uh, flag patch that was handmade here in the U.S., um, 
and uh, and yeah, so it's all, it's all numbered limited edition. Uh, we only have 500, and we've already you know sold quite a few. Well, so. And it depends too, like they're signed, so it's yeah, basically like hand signed by all most of us. the time, all three of us. Wow. Most of the time, when yeah. people want to collect cool. a book uh, or they want something of value, always having it dated and signed, you yeah. know, yeah. is going to add value to it. So having something limited, there's only 500 available. Um, I believe we still have some limited editions available. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, if you go on 20yearwar.com, you can read an example story. You can see some of the photos. Um, it just gives you plenty of information on how you can order. Give a shout out about your podcast again. So our podcast is Never Left Behind. Again, same website. Uh, you can go to, no, if you go to our business website, uh, weareunitedvalor.com, um, you will find links to our podcast, some of our media that we've obviously been on the last yep. couple, uh, last 10, nine, 10 days or something. Did now. you mention during that, that you're coming on the mentor for military podcast or anything? No so, plugs. <laughs> well, here's, here's, the pro- <laughs> well, here's the problem with the media blitz, right? I love it. Here's the problem with the media blitz really quick is they're trying to fill a narrative, right? They're oh, trying yeah, to get yeah. a veteran's voice for what's going on. In yeah. What you see on TV is like 30 seconds, really in reality. Yeah. yeah. The, they barely even talk about yeah, well, the amount yeah. of inner. So the way our media blitz started is I, and I'm hand of God. You want to talk about the positive of social media? I am. I'm just complaining and I'm frustrated and expressing that on Twitter, on middle Twitter with some of my fellow writer friends. I got a direct message, uh, half a bottle of wine in. I can say that now because the interview's already gone. Uh, by the reporter, and he's like, "Hey, I'd like to interview you. I think that you've got a unique perspective." I'm like, "Yeah, sure." He goes, "Can I call you right now?" And I'm like, "All right." You know, like like we said, "Fuck it, we'll do it live." <laughs> and so he uh, so he calls me, and I'm expecting like 10, 15 minutes. We talked. Andrew and I talked for over an hour, and he's also a veteran. He was a medic, and. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then I have maybe the most important meeting that I have for my day job for Q3 that morning, which was fine. And my world blows up and my phone is blowing up and God bless my, my colleagues for, for letting me handle it. But I have, since then I have done more interview stuff for 15, 20, 30 minutes to watch it be cut down to 15 seconds and just do like the Leonardo DiCaprio, um, meme from you know once upon a time Hollywood where you're pointing like it's like you you just have to think about it. like it's going back to the air like you have to think about it. it is so like you you have to like psyop yourself you have to be like what is the worst thing that i could possibly say that's it's like seer school it really is it's like but the worst is is that you can listen things pause reply pick the sound by yeah. right yeah. i love i love all the bad boys in the room are just like smiling about it. it's like you can listen think pause reply and do it right but because they have the power of the edit and because they have the power of the cut you're like you literally took one sentence out and I don't even know how they did it because it was like, I try and like power through certain things I think are dangerous. And they still find a way like, I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> it's awesome. You guys are getting the word out there. Yeah. You're doing it in these different platforms though, because it's so important for something like this that needs to be circulated that you have that opportunity to, you know, even coming on this show yeah. or whatever. And, and I know you guys are kind of like on a junket right now where you're going around and around and, and doing those types of things. Tired. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll really pay off. And, and I'm excited for what you guys are doing and, and watching that journey because it's a really important book that I do look for volume two and maybe even Paul to be in it. But you know, the, um, I'm just joking, but I think uh, he's probably not, but the, the idea and the concept and everything that's going on is really cool. And I do encourage everybody to go out to the website, um, and buy it 
yeah. buy the book, put it on, get the nicer version. Cause I think this is, yeah, the limited edition is a really cool version. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Both of them are, by the way, uh, again, it's, um, a 12 by 12, yep. Huge. um, yeah. you know, it sits on your, your coffee table or something like that. It's really meant to be a conversation piece. Yes. I, th I think it'll be probably the biggest book in most people's homes. Yeah. Well, and not sure. just that, I think businesses, it would be a great thing even to yeah, set there in a business yeah. in a, in a, you know, four year area where people are going to be mm -hmm. waiting for whatever purpose. And it's a great book to pick up yeah. and, um, you know, demonstrate some of the veterans and things that they've done in their stories. So guys, I appreciate you guys waking up so early and oh, coming on our podcast. Oh, You're used time. to it from your back days in radio, but yeah. you know, this, no, this, this was fun. And I just have yeah. to say, seriously, shouts to you guys, because I've been We've, we've talked for years and I've followed this podcast for so long and the work that you do and constantly pushing for the veteran conversation in a really authentic way and a way that um, helps bridge that civilian veteran divide we're talking about, but really also challenges veterans in the way that I think veterans need to be challenged is really inspiring. And I can honestly say, we're like, yeah, come on. I'm like, I instantly, I'm like, we're going on. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, this is so weird to hear that no, though, from us. I, uh, I pre, I really do appreciate that, but that it's, yeah, it's really weird, you know? Well, and you get it. I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah. That, people used to do that to me at Ranger up. They come up to me and be like, Hey Tommy, tell me about this story. And but like one of them, that people would always ask me about is that we jumped in Canada. I got a concussion. I got super drunk at the wing exchange and got the Canadians to sing blame Canada in rounds. Cause that was when it was out with South park. And everyone's like, so what? I'm like concussion. Second time I'd ever been drunk in my life. Cause I was a good little fundamentalist Christian kid that was like rebelled in that way in high school, bro. This is the best you're ever going to get of this story. Okay. Although ironically enough, just because he's there, another guy that we like Mike Burke, um, Sergeant Major now um, does his own podcast and stuff. Mike was the one that actually like dragged me back to the barracks. <laughs> Another one of was like, "Come on, come here, Junior." It's like I don't remember. Like this is the best you're gonna get, but people will do that to me all the time. So I do get it. I promise you, I appreciate it. But no. at the same time, the compliment is. I, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. So thank you wow. guys for what you're doing. Appreciate yeah, it. Tom. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. Appreciate all of you guys doing it. And again, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. so much. Thank you.